Thanks, Brendan. We're following on from last week and this week we were to cover, so we've been trying to do 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. Uh, Josh did a miraculous job of catching, of covering 1, 2, 3 and 4 in, in two weeks. I, I feel that we're not going to deal with chapter 7 this morning. I felt as we got closer to the week that we would stay with chapter 6 this morning and uh, we'll... We'll deal with that at another time as opportunity comes up. Rob Day is bringing us some exposition on chapter 8 next week. <clears throat> Last week we preached about going too far. This week has been a subtle change to the message title, It's Gone Too Far. That's pretty clever, don't you think? Second week? Yeah, <laughs> all right. What I'd like us to do is, is, is begin this morning in the same way as we did last week. Just close our eyes and meditatively receive um, a prayer, two prayers, or if you like, receive the second as a verse, as a prayer. But the first one was a prayer that the Lord prayed on the eve of his, convic- of his crucifixion. He prayed to the Father, and it's found in John 17, and then a prayer of Paul from Romans 12. Uh, or, if you like, a, a declaration, but receive it as a word from the Lord this morning. So let's close our eyes and, and receive these. The Lord said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And from Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Amen. As we said last week, the Christian faith, being a follower of Jesus is extreme. It is a world of extremes for us in this day and it probably always has been. From the very beginning it was radical and it continues to be down through the years. Um, People find it difficult to live at peace with followers of Jesus. They can be a real pain and a real nuisance just by showing up. We are extreme in love extreme in forgiveness, extreme in righteousness. The word of God sets a high bar for life and there are exclusive claims in Christianity. For example, Jesus is the only mediator between God and us. And another claim, he said himself when he was with his disciples on the eve before he was crucified, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. 
And if you look at some of the great religious leaders down through the years, they pointed to the truth, they pointed to the life, they experienced light, they experienced truth as they saw it. No other religious leader ever dared to say, I am the way, the truth and the life. So you have to be able to discount Jesus. You have to be able to put him away. And this is why we struggle so much with getting a hearing in this day and age. We need to put this Jesus away. And and some of us have heard, I guess, before, he's either a liar or a lunatic, he's just totally cracked his lid, and or he is who he claims to be, he is Lord. Yet there are no other options available to any honest consideration of this Rabbi Jesus. So, pretty exclusive claims. So, for those that follow him, to, to be authentic, to be fair dinkum, to be the real deal, puts a lot on us. And frankly, the, the, the ability for us to faithfully and authentically live out the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is actually impossible. It's not humanly possible to step up to that bar except through the indwelling power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Spirit. That is the dynamic difference. That is the uh, essential essential in, in life for a follower of Jesus. Because what you get when you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you is religious, is a religious spirit, uh, moralistic, judgmental, seeking to do good and be a do-gooder and there's nothing worse, frankly, there's nothing worse in this world than people who kind of parade themselves as a really good Christian but they don't have the light inside. They, They won't let the Lord have his way with them. They present the Christian faith they want. They, they parade themselves as being good living people but look under the surface, scratch and see what bleeds. And, and so often we're let down, aren't we? And, and it's not because we all declare ourselves Christian but we have high expectations for our leaders, our politicians, our government officials, each other, people in business to, to work with honesty and integrity. They present a facade of actually caring about us. And so often it seems once you peel back the layers a little bit, there's corruption. And in, in reality, I guess that's our journey too, isn't it? Peel back our outer layers a little bit and, and what do we find? Is, is there corruption? Well, well, we're not perfect. And therein lies the challenge. Are we being in the world, being salt and light, in the world, being a positive influence for Christ or in that journey and that struggle we're becoming more of the world and we're losing sight of his truth and his calling on our life to live faithfully before our peers that which he has called us to do and to be, to be Christ in the midst. And and. There are things in our life now that we accept as common, everyday circumstance that uh, 
in times earlier we might have been mortified, distressed to see uh, what we've come to. The Corinthian church had gone too far. It had gone too far like we looked at last week with pride. It had gone too far with pride. Not only were they accepting a, a gross sin in the midst but they were condoning it and they were proud of how look at me, look at me, you know, I'm so funky and fashionable and cult current and relevant. I can cope with this. I can accept in, in our worshipful presence, within our worshipping community, within our services, however they might have been expressed, but within our fellowship. Somebody, a brother, one of our family, our eternal family, kind of challenging and confronting by his very life choices, my faith paradigm. And I quite, I got around that and I accommodated him and so much so we actually all started to accommodate him and thought, look at me, look at us, aren't we wonderful? How accommodating we are. We'd gone too far and we were actually under condemnation yet we couldn't see it because we were so full of pride in ourselves. We had gone far too far. There's a way that we can deal with it and I suggest to you to read it when you get home from Matthew 18, just three verses, 15, 16 and 17 and Matthew 18 tells you how to deal with the problem with a brother or sister in the midst. First you go to him directly and confront him. If he won't accept it then you take a couple of witnesses and if they won't accept that eventually um, it's declared before the church and you treat that person as you would a tax collector or a, what was the other one? Hmm. Little by, well, a sinner, yeah. Pagan, was it? Anyway, in other words, if you, you know, cut them out of your world, well, let's, let's not just go there and spend too much time. You get into it and dig it and find out what it says, but there is a process in which you can deal with things and not condone and accept things. Now further, Corinth had, the church in Corinth had gone too far with the law and this is where we're picking it up. So let's get into 1 Corinthians 6, reading from verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6, we're sitting with 6 this morning, <clears throat> verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints. So Paul is talking once again to the Corinthian church if you have a dispute with somebody else in the church, dare you take it outside the church to deal with it? Do you not know, verse 2, that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. Even people of little account. You prideful Corinthians. You know, I say this to shame you, verse 5. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead one brother goes to law against another and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have... Paul's angry, isn't he? Can't you feel it? You know. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 
Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. You know, there's a, I, I think there are parts of Canada that have introduced Sharia law because of community urging from the Islamic community in that place. Um, there have been uh, urges from time to time in this country for uh, uh, tribal law to be applied in Aboriginal culture, you know, uh, to, to apply uh, the appropriate, as they would see it, uh, punishments for wrongdoing. Um, so too in New Testament times, if there was a, like an ethnic block in a community, they were often allowed to apply their own laws even though they weren't living in their homeland. And, and in a sense, Paul is highlighting a critical fact. Um, we are citizens of heaven, in fact. You know, there's, there's a law that applies to us as we come into that, the kingdom of God that actually is different to the context that we live in on, on some points. Now, we live in a country where it draws its basic law legal framework from a Judeo-Christian perspective. That, that's probably fair to say by and large. Um, and Paul was pointing out... I, can I say this? I, I don't actually believe in multiculturalism within the church. Okay? Um, let me tell you why I don't. I believe that the church is the one place on earth where you get minor miracles happening as a daily experience when we get together. And what I mean by that is that we are, of all peoples, from all situations, in all kinds of circumstances, with all sorts of histories, gathering together around one person and that's Jesus Christ. Paul says to these guys, you, you know, the kingdom of heaven is not open to sinners and he lists off a whole pile of sins which were rampant in Corinth. And he says, you were redeemed from that, yourselves. You know what I'm talking about. I believe that we should be, if a church is healthy, we should be multi-ethnic, not necessarily multicultural. We'll get to that. Multi-ethnic, all kinds of folks from all kinds of places, all kinds of tribes, all kinds of histories. I'm kind of so confused because I have Greek and Scottish heritage. So please forgive me in advance for that. But it's good because I can call people a wog and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speaking from myself. All right? Just scratch that from the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Um, hey, would you believe Andrew and Steve were sharing some statistics? If we said, say, over a month we had, say, somewhere up to 800 people in attendance on our Sunday morning worship, like let's say 
on a Sunday we had somewhere 100 to 200 and then the next week 100 to 200. And let's say we got up to about 800 in a month. Did you know that our podcast congregation is 4,000? Isn't that unbelievable? 4,000 people. So it's the same folks. So let's say 1,000 a week on average. Is that that's true? Isn't it? I got that right? Unbelievable. A lot into China, a lot from the States. Uh, Neville, you came through through hearing a podcast here locally, didn't you? No, no. Noel, sorry. Noel, yeah. Bless you, mate. Didn't you? Isn't, yeah. Isn't that awesome? So, scratch that last bit of that. <laughs> Multi-ethnic. We should have within our midst just... Folks from all kinds of places. We should be multi-situational. Some of us are single mums. Some of us are doing really well financially. Some of us are not doing so good in our career. We come from all kinds of situations. Multi-situational and multi-generational. This is the place where we honour our elders. We honour our elders and we lift up and encourage our youngers. And we have a relationship across the generations. That's what helps make a healthy church. We're patient when we sing some old songs and as well as being long-suffering when we sing some new jungle music. <laughs> you, you know, what is the common glue? What are we mono in? We are monochristic. You know, it's about Jesus. We are monoculture. It's about the thing that binds us together is blood. We are all blood blood brothers and sisters in an eternal family drawn together by the same Holy Spirit coursing through our veins the blood of Jesus. So let's talk about being monoculture. In other words, we want to see Jesus in the midst. See him glorified and lifted up just because we're here. Oh... The fact is, and it's interesting how Brendan and, and Robin mentioned this this morning, I was going to say that in the days of the catacombs, you remember when a lot of the early first generation Christians, because of persecution and maybe second generation into the third century, uh, under Roman rule, they got into the catacombs in Rome, dug tunnels and met secretly underneath. And people would hear, people don't get Christians, they don't get us in a lot of ways. And people were, back in that day were hearing that they were drinking blood and eating flesh. <laughs> you know, they were mortified. These people are cannibalistic. Who is this sect of Judaism? These mad followers of Jesus, well, they were now called Christians by this stage. Um, what, what are they on about? It totally freaked people out. They had no idea what was going on in the catacombs. They were sharing communion as a remembrance feast. It was not meant to be literal and I don't go that far in, ten, in terms of seeing that the bread and the wine become actual. Um, it, for me, it is a symbol and it is precious as a way of us coming into the presence of God and his spirit ministering to us as we meaningfully remember something. But back in the day, you know, what is this that they're doing? They're drinking blood and eating flesh. <clears throat> I'd be freaked out too. I'd get, you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Today, people are mystified by our capacity for forgiveness. They are suspicious about our expressions of selfless love. They are disturbed by our sacrificial giving. 
It freaks them out. You see it every now and then. They do it on a cycle. It must come up regularly for the media and current affair shows. They're aghast that somebody might give 10% of their income generally without negotiation. It's not an offering. It's my tithe to their church. They forget that they're paying hundreds of dollars for a seat at the MCG. You know, they book one up for their grandchildren, get a slot in the Melbourne Cricket Club. Um, And we do this as an act of worship. And yet, it has a practical outflowing. It helps us do ministry. It helps us keep things going. But it's not negotiable. That's weird, man. Why would you be doing that? Putting that kind of money into your church. And you haven't even told them that yet about what your offering is over and above the tithe. The tithe's not negotiable. You don't withhold that. That goes in first. That's the first blessing that you offer with what that which comes into your, your life, into your estate, is the tithe and then you get to have fun with what's left over. And if I want to make an offering and bless somebody in ministry overseas or do something expansive and then the more I give, the more Lord blesses me. He says, oh, this is a guy or this is a gal I can give to because they're going to just pour it into the kingdom purpose. People just don't get this kind of thinking. Surely the best place to go to settle disputes is a place where the eternal wisdom and justice and mercy of God can be found. Surely that's the best place to go. Not only for minor disputes within us, but some serious ones. Well, I've got to say that sometimes the worst people I did business with back in the day were Christians. It's mortifying. Because the very fact that this is a brother or sister in the Lord, I give them a whole framework, a whole pile of credits. You know, well, yeah, we're going to deal honestly and with integrity with each other. We're not going to rip each other off. We're going to practice the win-win, aren't we, at the very least, which is all kind of funky through the 90s, the win-win instead of win-lose in making a deal. We'd at least do that, wouldn't we, with each other? And Paul's saying, look, you actually, really, you're better off copying a loss than taking this outside where the people can point at us and say, look at those Christians, see, <laughs> just what I thought. <laughs> They're no different to us. That's what Paul was saying. You guys are ripping each other off anyway. You know, now you're dragging each other off to court outside. What a mess. Don't go outside with it and then expect the Lord to bless your church and people want to come and, and get to know you because Jesus is a magnet. The life of Jesus is a magnet. His teaching is a magnet. His, his holiness and his righteousness is a magnet to starving souls. So all, all we have to do is pick up that. Let's be Jesus. How, what do we have to do? Who do we have to become? How much do we let God have of us in order that we be the real deal out there? And our stuff... We deal with each other in a godly way, internally. The last thing they need to see is our fallenness, our corruption being paraded for everybody to pick over. Gone too far. They'd gone too far with pride, they'd gone too far with law and they'd gone too far with grace. 
Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And that's another way of saying sin doesn't get to heaven. There's no sin in heaven. However you want to spin it, however you want to interpret it, whatever the, the moral culture of the day is, because there's ebb and flow in our world and down through the centuries there's ebb and flow. Isn't it interesting that this letter written 2,000 years ago roughly to the church in Corinth was, is so close to our, our day today. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The world turns. Things that were once wrong are now considered right. Remember when it was just not the done thing to do pre-marriage marriage. You know what I mean? Live together, try before you buy. That was the era we grew up in, wasn't Dallin? You know, you know um, it was kind of like... It, and these days, if you actually get to the altar as a Christian couple, young man and young woman, and, and you've maintained your purity and, and you know, it doesn't... I won't even go off on the tangent. We just stick with the thought. But to maintain and to do it how you feel the Lord has put it on you to do, you're weird, man. What? Who does that? Things once virtuous are now considered untrustworthy. There was a day when your word was your bond and there was a day that if you paid cash for everything, you were well thought of, weren't you? You know, sorry, younger folks, if I'm sounding like an old... Um, what's a good word I can use? Old fuddy-duddy. I was thinking of another. It starts with F as well. But, uh, you, you know, it's like there, if you can't get a loan unless you've got a credit rating. That means you've got to be in debt. Yeah, otherwise, you're a nobody. Wow, unbelievable. So I actually need to go out and get some credit cards and get debt and load up with debt and show people I can handle it rather than go out and say, look, I'm going to save up first and I'm going to uh, invest wisely and I'm going to treat my money with great care and I'm going to pay cash for everything because I save on the interest for a start. Now we kind of go, ooh, ooh, got a turkey here, Bill, some bloke out the front wants to give me cash. <laughs> oh, I want plastic, thanks. I get commissioned. Now there was a church pastor who did the wrong thing, uh, did the wrong thing with with many young girls in the congregation. He was taken to court, and it came down to a declaration. Well, I thought they were of age, right? So the point of law at issue was that these young girls were of age in his view. They said. We were, we were not of age, they weren't of age um, and it was wrong. Uh, he got let off on a technicality because it was basically boiled down to their word against his. Okay? All right. Well, that was good, wasn't it, mate? You know, that was lucky. You, you didn't get caught on, on that. What about the higher bar that the Lord sets? It says, it's got nothing to do with technical age. Man... Married man, pastor, 
you, you know, and, and I, I mean, I don't stand here as perfect. You, you know, none of us are perfect, but dear me. See, all we need to do is satisfy the point of law in this world. And if we can get around it, we're, we're out, it's, it's fine. Now, on the other hand, we, we have friends who were in our first church. The, the, it was a, com, a new church plan, community people everywhere, hardly any Christians, you know, but they were coming to faith and growing in their faith. And we had a couple who had lived together for absolute years, very committed to each other, and uh, they came to faith. And as they started to be discipled and as they started to grow in this kind of wild community kind of church where we're all on a journey, if you like, of faith, they got to the point where they came to the pastors in charge and we followed the planting pastors. We came in when the church was two years old and uh, they, they said to them, you know, we actually don't feel it's right now for us to live together and we want to get married. And can, can I, was it he or her? It was he, I think. Can I live with you guys, the pastors, until we get married? And so, sure, you know, we'll get you married. And, you know, now, they weren't breaking really any law, you know what I mean? They, they, they were just living together in a de facto relationship, a sustained, de facto, loving, caring relationship. So what's the difference? They come to faith and the revelation of God within them raises up an issue for them and they deal with it. So you've got one bloke getting away on a point of law, you've got another couple who are choosing to follow what they believe to be God's way for them in purity and are actually going above and beyond what the law might require. Our our being, our mind, our, our, our soul, our spirit being transformed by the washing of the word. So this morning we don't need to declare whether we believe it's right for couples to live together unmarried. We don't actually need to take a position um, about homosexuality being right or wrong or whether we are going to support gay marriage or not. This is the ebb and flow of the world. As the world turns, these things, and depending on the culture, these things will continue to be discussed as they were back in the days of Corinth and as they are today. The Lord calls us way and above all of that and says, you come to me and allow me to transform you into the likeness of my precious son. And this stuff, will figure itself out for you while the world is grappling. So we, we get out there in our world and it's with the very best apologetics that we can, with the very clearest declarations we can, give a position, you know, how then should we now live with Christ in our lives? What does that mean to us? Where do we draw our boundaries now? For some of us, we're tightening up those boundaries. We were saved out of temple prostitution in this day. We were saved from idolatry. We were saved from adultery. We've been, we've been tra- we've, what, what did he say? Sanctified? You were, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified as a son and daughter of the living God. How then should I now live? Where will I draw the boundaries? Where will I tighten up things? What just doesn't feel right? 
Oh, let's read verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. Now, now just, just get with these couple of verses. It sounds like there's some catch cries going on in the Corinthian church. You know, like Carlton is best. Those kind of catch cries, we have that all the time here, don't we? Carlton is fabulous. <laughs> Let's get back to the word, eh? Everything is permissible for me. Everything is permissible for me. And Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. And Paul says again, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. They were having terrible communion. It was like a feast. And they were pigging out. It was terrible. And Paul says, but God will destroy them both. You know, in other words, this is material. Um, the body is not meant, in the middle of verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, here we go. You know, everybody's arguing tin tacks. Christian couples are growing up knowing, trying to figure out how they can have sex without having sex. You, you know, what, what, where are our boundaries? Where, where, where do we draw the line? How do we get round the issue? Of, of trying to come to terms with our moral framework that we're raised with perhaps or that we sense in, inside and, we're kind of, and, and we've got friends who are totally don't have any, the same values at all and we're trying to come and how do we be in the world and not of the world and how do we draw attention, how do we be real and be genuine friends with our mates and all of that kind of thing and how do we have relationships when the expectation on, from the other person may be totally different to ours. Where, how do we figure this? Well, God just says, come up to here. Your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. You know, this sort of toing and froing and sometimes we live in a more moral society and other times we won't. They went through a period in the 60s where in Sweden uh, the, the libertine uh, behaviour of young couples through the 60s, particularly in places like the Nordic countries, uh, they grew through that, like old, old people like us, grew through that. Their kids coming through actually started to feel they wanted to be more chaste in their relationships than their parents had been. They, they just kind of figured, well, that really hasn't worked. You, you know, so that, but the Lord gives us a, a kind of a, a level to live our lives, to aspire to and understand something that's significantly different to each one for all of us that are in the family of God. And it comes here. Verse 14. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Here's three things why the body is important. Because there was a feeling that didn't really matter. You know, if you're hungry, what are you going to do? You're going to go and buy a burger. If you feel like having sex, you're going to just go out and get some, aren't you? That's, it's, that's, isn't that where we sit? It's kind of almost normal to, to if go out on a date. It's just really, well, is it the first date or the second date? You know, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. What, if, if you feel like it, just go and get it. And, and, and Paul's saying, your body is not passing away. Firstly, 
I gave you your body for the Lord and the Lord is for you. I have righteous works to perform through you. I have a work and a ministry to do through you. Secondly, he says, so that's the first thing. Secondly, by, the power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. We have a bodily resurrection coming. It's not just going to go to ashes and stuff, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The Lord will call those ashes and that dust back into our human body and it will be a physical resurrection like the Lord himself. He was the first fruits of that resurrection and he will bring us to heaven bodily. And the third thing is in the next bit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? This is verse 15. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. <laughs> I used to really freak me out when I was young. That my elders would say to me, you know God sees everything. Oh, no, aren't there any bits that God doesn't see? Can't I go somewhere where he's not? Can I get in like the, the cone of silence with, with Get Smart or, or get some um, kryptonite shielding around me like Superman or lead? Lead, that's what it was. Superman couldn't see through lead, could he? So I have a little lead box in my room that I get into when I don't want God to see me. Freak me out. I think, oh, this is not fair. I've got to be good all the time. It's not about that. It's not about that. Yeah, we know God knows the end from the beginning. We know that God is omnipresent. We know he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful and we declare that he's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. He knows the end from the beginning. The point is... If I bring the Lord into my life, if I invite him in and say, Holy Spirit, take up residence in my life, then where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What things am I going to get up to that I take him with? When I was core cadet counsellor at the Brisbane City Temple, I used to say to the young people, could you invite the Lord into the back seat of your car with your girlfriend? <laughs> I thought it was really cool. you know. But really in effect... If we really had kind of carried with us that awareness of the presence of God, the indwelling presence of God in our life, how might that affect how we live? How then should we now live? We are precious. And there's something powerful about purity. So pleased you guys picked up on that this morning. There's something powerful about purity and, and we don't want to know about it out there. We just, it's just, we just got to put that away. It's oldy worldy thinking. All right. I guess the Lord is not calling us to simply meet the social norms of the day. He's calling us to exceed them. He's calling us to a higher plane of living. And He's not just calling us to something that's impossible, He's only calling us to where He kicks in. What we can do in our own strength, we can do in our own strength. If I want to, I can live a religious life and I could probably fool some of you some of the time, you know. But if I'm going to get to the level that I believe God is calling me to, to live my life, I've got to let him have as much of me as I can give him. Just keep giving it to him and, and say, Lord, you have a level for me to enjoy in life that is beyond my capacity to construct for myself. I'm only going to get there because of a basic fundamental, I let you have your way with me. 
and I'll bring you into every decision of my life, every major life choice that I make. And I know I'm going to come a cropper now and then. I know I'm going to fail now and then. I'm going to trip over and skim my knees. But however, Lord, there are untapped, there is an untapped life for me and for each one of us. Every time, because we will never get, we will never get to a point where God says, "That's great, you've arrived." It's just something He will continue to do. You know, I'm finished with this thought. I always there's a verse in Judges twenty one twenty five, and it says this: "There was no king in Israel." And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In those days you needed a king to direct, a godly king. He was the rule. He showed us how to live a righteous life effectively. Now other translations of and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Another translation is as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what they thought was right. Or the message says, everyone did what they felt like doing. Now, when I was a kid going to Mill Valley Ranch, I remember Arthur Bartlett getting up there and preaching in his cowboy hat and his six-gun. Very impressive. I pay attention when somebody's got a six-gun preaching. But I remember he said, you know, that... That verse, everyone, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. He said that's the definition of paganism. Now, he might have heard it somewhere else too, but I've never forgotten it. I can still remember Arthur saying it and it stayed with me my whole life. Everyone did what they felt like doing. We need a governor. We're not perfect. We're fallen. We tend to the, the wrong end of the scale, just humanly. We get that from the moment we're born. So if we're going to sort of have a governor in our life, then let's go for Almighty God who's perfect. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we take these moments to to kneel in your presence. You know each one of us, Lord. (laughs) Your word says you even know our thoughts before a word is on our tongue. You know what we're going to say. It's We're so blessed by your mercy and your grace. We're so blessed by the fact that you don't sit in judgement over us on every point of our failures. Yes, we are under judgement by our sin, but yes, we are redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus as each one of us accepts him into our life. We know forgiveness of our sins. We know cleansing by your Holy Spirit, washing of transformed by your word and your truth, alive in our hearts and our minds and our soul and our spirit. Help us, Lord. Be our strength, be our guide, be our wisdom, be our courage, be all those things that are over and above worldly to and fro's. Be that which we cannot be in our own strength and lead us in the ways everlasting. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.